Welcome to VIV Today, the daily podcast from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief. Deloitte Canada and LifeWorks Research Group have released a follow-up report arising from 2021 research of senior leaders in Canada, which uh, demonstrated that during the pandemic, they've uh, become fatigued, insufficiently supported in their roles, and uh, many of them contemplating a departure. And the report examines some strategies, though, uh, to contend with executive exhaustion. And my guest today is the executive advisor at Deloitte Canada, Sabine Hirji. She joins me now. Good to see you. Thank you, Kirk, for having me. Yeah, well, uh, I will say um, I wouldn't consider myself a senior leader, but I'm, I'm you know, I, I have a leadership role here. Uh, this report speaks to me and almost every other manager I know. Um, so take us through the initial findings, what, what Deloitte and LifeWorks found last year. Okay, yeah, thank you. And I think just your comment around how uh, this applies very broadly, and certainly you're a, a senior leader in your organization, but we see managers uh, experiencing many of the many of the same issues. So some of the highlights uh, from our initial research, um, we found um, over eighty percent of uh, leaders said that they finish work every day mentally or physically exhausted. Mm. Uh, we also uh, found that about 50% were considering um, some sort of change to work, whether it was retiring, resigning, just uh, dialing down, moving into uh, a less demanding role, or actually taking, uh, taking a leave. We also heard that 96% uh, of leaders told us that their mental health and well-being had worsened uh, through the pandemic. And so, you know, the, the headline here would for businesses is that this is not sustainable and uh, it really does put at risk the recovery of businesses and the ability to uh, truly deliver sustainable performance. Yeah. And one of the reasons that we did this research is because there's a lot of uh, focus on this issue or certainly increasing focus on this issue for the broader workforce. And I'm we're super happy about that because certainly this is something that applies to everyone. But there was the sense that perhaps it leaders were immune from this, that leaders could manage through it and soldier on. And uh, what we discovered, of course, was that's not the fact. And uh, maybe one more stat that I'll put out there uh, before we get into the so what, what can we do about it, is the whole issue of stigma. We found yeah. that leaders are really, really concerned that if they raise their mental health issues in the workplace, it will affect their career trajectory. And that really is the first step in terms of uh, how we overcome that so that you, you start to normalize that a little bit. Yeah, so lots to unpack here. Um, it's interesting, though. I mean, the research was done in the spring of 2021. Now, you could uh, kind of speculate both ways on this. You could say, well, that was the worst of the pandemic. That was the real heave-ho pivoting resilience phase of all of this. Um, here we are a year out. Now, where would you come down on this one? Would you think yeah. it has deepened and worsened or would, would people be kind of coming out of this now? 
Yeah, it's a great question. There has been um, more recent research. LifeWorks has done some research on, on this, and certainly they're seeing similar trends. Deloitte uh, in the U.S. has done work that actually looked at senior leaders. And again, these trends continue. And what I would say anecdotally, even the way we started this conversation, you sharing your experience, and I speak with leaders almost every day, as do my colleagues across Deloitte. And this issue has a lot of resonance. And there is a cumulative effect of, um, of everything that's happened over the last two and a half years. And what we're also seeing, one of the reasons that this the pandemic had such a significant impact on leaders is it, it really um, put into imbalance this, uh, this, uh, this framework where your, um, where generally leaders have more control over the the environment and uh, um, and and the actions that that they take and the strategies of the organization. What happened through the pandemic is they lost that control, or certainly the control really was decreased because mm-hmm. we didn't know where the pandemic was going, how long it was going to be, what are the gov- their government regulations? Are you going to be open? Are you going to be closed? Are you going to be somewhere in between? Um, and so they were really operating in this in in this very turbulent environment. If you think about what's happened in 2022, we see we've seen that continue. So you have the um, the 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 war in Ukraine, and that has just exacerbated supply chain issues, energy issues. You have inflation. You have a looming recession. And uh, all of those things really fit into that same category of what's yeah. next and how am I actually going to deliver on my uh, on, on the needs of the business. So I would say with looking at all of those factors uh, and, and the additional research that I think we're in the same place and there's a risk. Your question is really, really important because there's this risk of organizations saying the we're coming out of the pandemic, or certainly, you know, there's the 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 trajectory is looks different. We've got vaccines, and 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 much of um, that has uh, has helped to to perhaps uh, mitigate things a little bit. But the reality is that we're there's just more and more change yeah. being piled up on us. It is um is one of the reasons why um, a study like this sticks out is that, um, you know, a lot of people aren't, don't feel sorry for the boss, right? I mean, the boss has authority, better pay packet, presumably more privileges. And it's not, not easy to get sympathetic for the person at the top, is it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm so glad you asked that question. And in fact, when we did the research initially, that was, we didn't know, uh, what the findings were going to be, although anecdotally we were starting to hear it, and uh, we were a little bit concerned about the the very things that you speak about. Uh, but that actually was not the 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 reaction that we had to it, and I think there are a number of reasons for it. Through the pandemic, the relationships between managers, leaders, and employees 
changed. What happened is it became more human. We started to see, in fact, what what uh, we're seeing a, a little bit here today. We started to see people in very different environments and leaders who had their children running around in the background or their cat climbing up over their shoulder or their doorbell ringing <clears throat> and you know for to to take care of something and this humanization of the relationship i think really uh brought to life for employees for for sure about how leaders were grappling with many of the same things as they were but if you move that up to an organizational or even an economy level, uh, it becomes even more critical. So leaders make strategic decisions. They make decisions around performance, operations, people. And if they're not healthy and well, then the quality of the decisions are going to suffer. If they're yeah. not healthy and well, their behaviors often change the behaviors that come from, from stress and risk of burnout or burnout. And that trickles down in the organization to other and employees and the workforce actually feel it. And this is where for me, the, the, um, you know, what we hear on, on, um, planes when we're flying, although I know we're not flying as much, but certainly this, we are told to put, your own oxygen mask on before you can help anyone else. And that's yeah. exactly what plays out for leaders as well. And, and I certainly know a lot of managers who put, you know, put themselves into the space where they'll, they'll take care of themselves, make sure that they have self-care, you know, that they're exercising, they're eating well, they're trying to sleep well, those kinds of things. But, but the report, um, and we can get right into the recommendations around this one. you mentioned earlier the stigma issue and how, um, how difficult it can be for a lot of people who have exercised authority over time and have seen to be the people who are most together the most, you know, that have, you know, that after all, they've been successful for them to concede their own vulnerability, their own frailty, um, their inability to cope, uh, the, the qualities that are kind of crowding in on them from a psychological standpoint takes, takes a great deal. And then for an organization also to recognize that it's not just a matter of having that person solve his or her their own issues, but it's up to the organization to start to take this much more seriously right now. So talk a little bit about these twin recommendations, the, the self uh, confession, if you want to call it that, and th the organizational uh, requirement to really get, get in the game on this one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, you're really highlighting uh, uh, this, uh, you know, the, this, what could sometimes um, um, even, well, hold people back, organizations back from doing anything. So um, in terms of stigma, not a surprise to, to see that I spent my uh, career, my full-time, full-on career in, um, in the corporate world. As, as you may know, I was the head of HR at RBC and so very much um, in this space. Uh, and um, the, the stigma issue, so what can you do? I think that's the question. We know it's there and it's, it's going to be there unless organizations take certain actions. So what we've seen uh, happen, and, and I think that's what we're really trying, with the report, that's what we're doing, sharing what we've learned from other, what other organizations are doing. 
they're having conversations at the senior most levels. And when you have the CEO leading the conversation, senior leaders leading the conversation and being vulnerable enough, an important um, a theme that, that you point to, to say, you know what? I've had my challenges too. These, this is what my challenges have been. And there's a whole spectrum, right? You know, of, of mental health, et cetera. Um, but telling the story in the first person and how they've addressed it, how the organization has been supportive, and ultimately for people to see that it has not affected their careers really helps to move the needle on this. And we've heard from many organizations that the first report actually gave them that permission, created that space for that kind of psychological safety to have those kinds of conversations, to normalize it, um, and, um, and also to talk about, so there are things you can do yourself and how can we support you on that, but what are the things that we can do organizationally to help those. And again, what I what I would say is that even with organi with organizational initiatives that might be more targeted at senior leaders, there's that trickle down effect across the entire yeah. workforce. Yeah. You know, the thing that I, I still wonder about though uh, is executives for the most part got to where they are by by having a competitive instinct. And by, um, and you hate to say this, but by you know, sensing weakness in somebody else that then got them ahead. You know? uh, uh, so I wonder whether yet we're at that point where an executive would trust an organization to accept the vulnerability and whether the first time that that person maybe didn't advance and somebody else did, it would set you to wonder whether it was your vulnerability, your admission of vulnerability, that cost you the advancement. So I wonder where we are with that whole yeah, yeah. thing. It's, and uh, I would say we're at different places across different organizations. Mm -hmm. the leaders really set the tone on, on these behaviors and these things that are difficult, vulnerability, authenticity. And I would say that through the pandemic, leaders have had to become more comfortable with it, not just around this issue, but just around running the business. They've had to sit with their staff and say, or be on a webinar with their staff and say, look, we don't have all the answers. I don't know where this is going, but I need to have this conversation with you so that you can help come up with the answers. And, you know, it, it this conversation always takes me back to the financial crisis because I was in financial services for my, as I mentioned, for my career. And what I remember there is there were these daily huddles every morning and you'd have employees from different levels across the organizations. So a hierarchy of knowledge, not a hierarchy of level. The big issues would be put on the table. This is what's happened yesterday, last night, this morning in markets in other, uh, in other regions this is what we need to solve for. I don't have the answers, even though they came from a place where people expected them. And let's talk, you know, we need your help. And that's been happening in organizations. So I think we've got that momentum behind us for, for people to do it. But ultimately, where they can see that it hasn't affected people. And the interesting thing there about mental health is it's not 
like unlike many other health conditions where it is there are differences in terms of impacts based on socioeconomic levels with mental health there isn't and yeah. um and so you know there is a bit of building the trust and not everyone will go there, but enough people will. And an analogy that really works for me is that of an elite athlete. So if you talk to elite athletes, what they will say is that their well-being, their mental and physical health is essential to them operating at their peak performance. And Probably. it's not a one and done or I'm going to do this you know, only when I'm starting to feel like things are like I'm, you know, things are uh, issues are starting to uh, to arise. But it's something I do all the time to build up that resiliency. And I find that analogy can work with leaders who uh, who can look at that and say, yeah, you know, athletes get a lot of professional help. They have coaches for everything, including their their well being, and um, those are the conversations I see happening more and more. And I love this notion of well-being and performance really being two sides of the same coin, whether it's at an individual level or at an organizational level. Certainly, uh, athletes also do things like visualization uh, as part of their work in order to exactly. perform well. And, and executives, that's a big leap for a lot of them. Um, in the time we've got left, I... I I know uh, the cliche is it's lonely at the top. And one of those uh, recommendations here are get a peer relationship going and many of them going in order to be able to deal with that. But the more consequential finding in this, the recommendation of this, and the one that I think is worrisome for us as a society, although maybe not personally uh, with some people, is the whole idea that we need to rethink work. Uh, that that was this, that was a clear signal coming from those you surveyed, and in the research since, that maybe maybe this way we've been doing things actually now has to be refashioned somehow. Um, well, you know, the consequences of that globally are mammoth. Right? Individually, they might be wonderful, but collectively, what that does in terms of extracting that energy out of the system uh, is is profound um but where where do you think the the rethinking will first go here mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah um so here's the, the way that i've really started to to think about it as as have others that there is there is an optimal level of of performance, then it's based on an optimal level of inputs, not a maximum level of inputs. Because after a certain point, you get diminishing returns, uh, yeah. or in fact, uh, you know, you 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 really you start to make bad decisions. You you're as you get more tired, more exhausted, more burnt out. And I think we can all look at our own organizations and see the 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 waste, the busy work things that they're they're hard to break some of those habits you know i observe for example in some organizations you have a whole plethora of people attending meetings and you sit back and you think why are they here and people are worried if i don't go to the meeting 
is this, are they going to make decisions that affect me or am I less important? Uh, but even the whole meeting culture and rethinking that uh, is a small example, but when you think of how much time is spent on it, uh, it's massive. The other opportunity is technology. How do we more thoughtfully bring together technology and humans to improve our effectiveness, our efficiency, uh, and to have humans do what we do uniquely well, but to actually have the technology. And it is advancing at a rapid rate. And, and moving away from that mindset of technology is not just about eliminating jobs. Ultimately, the view is that there will be more jobs through the, as, as we kind of move through this, this next cycle of technology implementation, but doing it thoughtfully, doing it in a way that is actually going to free people up to have more time to rest and rejuvenate is, is, is great. And, and I would say just as a very practical example, and I'll use an example at Deloitte, where uh, we've put in place uh, throughout the summer months and and it and did that last year as well also attached to to long to um, long weekends or statutory holidays Fridays are off and when right. everybody is off uh, across the organization the email traffic really drops now I'm also very aware that this cannot be done in all industries um, no. and right and 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 um, but putting into place those kinds of bold um, um, initiatives, programs, and testing them out. Because what, what we're finding is it's actually, it's it's not uh, bringing productivity down, but people are more, you know, energized. They're staying at the organization longer. There's a huge retention premium, and we're in a massive skill shortage right now as well. And, and so done well, thoughtfully measured, really understanding the impacts. I think it's doable. I think it's time for us to give that a go and see how that works. Well, uh, we could talk about this study for probably hours, okay? Um, and I and of all ironies, I have to get off to another meeting. So there you go. There you <laughs> and go. I, yeah, and I'm in a different time zone, so I'm gonna be having dinner shortly. Am I not be ritual am I not ritualized as a as a leader? Um, exactly. But I really want to thank you, Sabine. It's, it's a really good study. I recommend it to people. It's easy to find online. And uh, and we'll be writing about it here at Business in Vancouver. Thanks a lot for your time today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Kirk. Sabine Hirji is Executive Advisor at Deloitte Canada. I'm Kirk LaPointe, Publisher and Editor-in-Chief at Business in Vancouver. Thanks for watching. Mm -hmm.